Hi, welcome to Sibling Cinema. I'm Dennis. And I'm Bonnie. And we are here counting down the Oscar winners for Best Picture of the Year from Worst to Best. Exactly what we're doing. Yeah. And we are all the way up to number 32. Wow. Can you believe that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's and right in front of me. Yeah. And if is. you're curious about what the how the ranking came about, you should just listen to our trailer episode because I, I get sick of explaining it the whole time. Don't do it. Right. It's an aggregate. It's, yeah, you know, just have fun with it. Uh, but anyways, what what's uh, number 32? What's, what movie are we talking about today? We're talking about In the Heat of the Night from the great year of 1967. So what's your history with uh, In the Heat of the Night? This is my first time seeing it. You never seen it? I know. Did why did really? you didn't you I think know, I, I thought you had seen it? Did you watch the TV show? No, I didn't know there was a TV show. Uh yeah, there was a TV show uh based on it written for like seven, six or seven seasons in um, the late eighties, early nineties. Carol okay. O'Connor. Yeah. Uh, no. I think was it Harold Rollins. Carol O'Connor played the sheriff. No, I did not know that, but that makes sense because when I was searching for the movie, um, the TV show came on. Okay. And yeah. I didn't know it was that far back. But. Oh, yeah. I've seen it a few times, but um, yeah. You didn't yes. say it when it came out? <laughs> In 1967? <laughs> well, you yeah. might have. Just I might have. I, I doubt the, I doubt I was born in that year. Um, we'll have to defer that so, question yeah. to our parents. Where were they stationed then? Well, I was born in Virginia. Oh, because the movie didn't play below the 1960 line. Can oh. you believe that? Is that it's, right? Yeah. <gasps> Are you joking? No. no is this serious. A, really? Yeah. Wow. And we'll get into why when we talk about the movie. Wow. Isn't that crazy? It's that is so crazy. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, well, we were below the Mason-Dixon line, at least at the beginning there, but then we moved yeah. to... I don't know, D.C. I, I don't know. It was, uh, it was before you were born. Anyways, it was a... Could have been New York, actually. A yeah. very eventful year in America and also in movies is the old Hollywood system fades away and is replaced by you know, a rebellious young generation. There's a great book called... Um, by Mark Harris wrote a book called The um, Pictures Had a Revolution which looks at the year 1967 in film and goes through, actually uses the five Best Picture nominees to kind of tell the story of old Hollywood past. You know, really? Yeah, oh, I have it. You should, you should read it, actually. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you still have to watch 12 Years a Slave, or read 12 Years a Slave. Uh-huh. Wait, um, that, that wasn't nominated. No, no uh, but yeah, it goes through. But I have to the, hurry up and read that book because you think we're coming up to it soon. Yeah, we're we're running out of um, runway. Yes, that's true. Yeah, so let's look at these um, five nominees, and let's start off with the the movie that's emblematic of the old Hollywood system, just on its last last legs. Okay. Have you ever? Are you familiar with Doctor Doolittle? I mean, I know the movie. I don't know this version. Um, yeah. because that's the My Fair Lady guy. Yeah, Rex Higgins. Yeah, it's based on the famous children's book series about a a veterinarian or a doctor who talks to the who who talks in animals. Yeah, there's a the song animals. that goes with that. Yeah, from this movie. Oh, from this one. Oh, yeah, it won the best song Oscar, beating okay. out the Bare Necessities for some oh. reason. Um, Is that movie from this year too? Yeah, Jungle Book. Yeah. Oh, great movie. Yeah, Dr. Doolittle is it's just this very bloated, big-budget musical went way over, way over budget. And it's, as I said, it's kind of emblematic of, like, old Hollywood studio system dying, you know, like, mm-hmm. at its best, you know, this, these big studios would have... You know, a whole a bankroll of stars, and they'd have like a music department and a costuming department and a sound department, and you think of things like uh, 
Singing in the Rain or Casablanca or Wizard of Oz are just these examples of all these elements coming together and everything working right. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the opposite example. And kind of why it died is like when your studio kind of becomes disparate, you have to kind of hire these things out rather than having them in-house and the budgets go up and you end up you know, you have executives who aren't trying to make the best movie ever made, but are trying to make the most successful movie ever made. So you're just kind of copying, you know, this movie is clearly seeing, okay, My Fair Lady made a lot of money and The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins, and let's just try to create that. Okay. And the movie's just a disaster. It's, but it got nominated for Best Picture. It did, which is, you know, one of the critics at the time said, uh, I didn't pull the exact quote where they said, like, how could the Academy allow a Doolittle to happen with this really... The movie just kept going over budget. Fox, it's a 20th Century Fox movie. They they had nothing else on their plate and threw their entire Oscar budget at um, at promoting this movie. They had, for like I think for a month straight, they had free screenings for academy members with lavish dinners and mm-hmm. you're not allowed to do that anymore but um yeah i, I but even i mean so this, this movie is hard to sit through I, don't, <laughs> I mean the movie kind of flopped when it came out oh, and that okay. was like the last gasp was to try to squeeze some more money out with uh oscar nominations yeah but i i just i really don't get it because like even if you are giving out free dinners it's like well it's a secret ballot, so yeah. like, you can get the free dinner and just, you know, right. vote for one of these other good movies. Right. It's really one of the worst Best Picture nominees well, of all time. It's, is it worse yeah. than Cimarron? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Okay. Uh, this came out like a year after Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh. You've seen that, right? Yes. So just think, like, by the time, like when you're growing up, when I'm growing up, people were actually still watching Chitty Chitty Bang yes, Bang, right. but you never heard of this version. No, so, I've never heard of this. Like, either. just like use that as a vantage point. That, yeah. like, I don't like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It's so unpleasant. Although I've seen it probably eight times as a child. I mean, it was always yeah, on. Right. But not this, so. No, I never heard of this. Well, I mean, I guess I know the... Talk to the talk animals. To yeah, Bernice this is a better song. So great. Yeah. Okay, so that's Dr. Doolittle. Don't see it. Yeah. Oh, another Sydney Portier. Yeah, another Sydney Portier. He, I would uh, really like to see this. Movie. Guess who, you've never seen Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Really? Okay, I, 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 I thought you maybe... had. First of all, Sydney Portier had a really impressive year this year. He has. Yeah. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in the Heat of the Night and to Serve with Love, which is. Um, not one of the nominees, but it was a big hit. He plays a... It's kind of an inspirational teacher movie. He, he's, okay. he, How long had he been around by this point? Oh, um, he, he came up in the 50s. So, okay. like, I think his... Had he um, had any best picture? He had already... He's not in any other best picture winners, but... Or nominees uh, of any yeah. sort? So in 1958, the Defiant Ones was the Best Picture nominee, and Sidney Poitier was nominated. He did win in 63 for Lilies of the Field. Oh, I love that movie. I know you do, yes. He's yeah, that was the Best Picture nominee, too. That's 63, so four yeah, years it, lo- it lost to Tom Jones. Okay. All right, so guess who's coming to yeah, dinner, which coming looks to delightful. Uh, yeah, well, it's um, Hepburn and Tracy. Yeah. Uh, their last pairing... Uh, their oh. daughter is engaged to Sidney Poitier. Yeah. So that and is the situation. Do they know situation. that when he comes to dinner? Or do they find They know that, that when they meet him. Yeah, they meet and, they meet and then the dinner is ensuing with okay. his parents. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. I mean, yeah. it's it's very dated in terms of its take. On race, I mean, the, his, Sidney Poitier's character is so watered down. He's just, like, you know, in order to sell the movie, he has to be, like, yeah. the perfect guy. He's, like, a rocket scientist who's, like, yeah. and it's, like, why is he even interested in this flaky girl? And, you know, they're, like, oh. 
uh, older liberal parents from it's set in San Francisco, uh, but they they still are confronting their own kind of progressive values. Yes, with, uh, because this is very controversial. At this time, this is actually the same year as Loving versus Virginia, the Supreme Court case regarding interracial marriage. Uh, so it's a hot button issue. Oh, at the meaning, time. was it illegal? Uh, I mean, not in California where this was set, but it was the illegal Loving. The yeah, the Loving versus Virginia made, uh, said that those laws were unconstitutional. So. I Certainly in Virginia, there were no interracial marriages, and then most of the South, I think, was like that. Yeah. I don't know about states outside of the South, but uh, California, it was not illegal, but it's uh, it was much less common at the time. I remember um, when we, we moved to Philadelphia when I was uh, going into my senior year of high school. Yeah. So, when I, so I was the new girl, come from California, and uh, meeting people during lunch the first day and it was at least I think it was the first day but it was at least in that first week of school people were talking about you know things that had happened over the summer all these people that I didn't know about yeah but I remember how shocked I was that they were talking about so-and-so was had dated a black guy over the summer and it was Mm -hmm. just coming you know this is 80s mid 80s yeah uh it's like how is that still a thing? You know, that people that are talking. A surprise yeah. Yeah. yeah, that this was a topic of conversation. Right. Because coming from here, our Sarah, they like nobody would have, you just wouldn't have thought anything yeah. about that. And, right. Uh, but I'm like, that was, uh, that was a thing in Philadelphia in the 80s, so. We shouldn't be shocked yeah. that in the uh, 60s again, in California. Was... The movie does, it's entirely from the, I mean, it's mostly from the parents' point of view. And so yeah. it doesn't really age that well, just okay. in terms of the central conflict is, you know, how, how can we cope with the fact that our idiot daughter is marrying a black guy? <laughs> Um, but the real value in it is just having these two stars. You know, there I think seven movie pairings between Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. They have such great chemistry. But like starting with Woman of the Year, it's like this relationship between two young professionals sparring and then falling in love, and then something like Adam's Rib, where they're several years into marriage and established career, and now here at the end of their lives. It's it's really kind of special, and this movie Spencer Tracy was very ill. Um, oh. They had to I think fil- uh, have a, a filming schedule that where he could only be on set two hours a day or something, oh, wow. and uh, he ended up passing just uh, weeks after the movie oh, closed. Really? Yeah, wow. but like he couldn't, they couldn't get him insured so uh hepburn and the director stanley kramer like put in their own money into an escrow account um in order to get the film financed oh like as okay. a stopgap in case they had to refilm it with somebody else oh, wow yeah well, that's interesting yeah well, yeah i like so the really... concept of a liberal San Francisco couple who have, you know, especially I'm thinking of them as just the older version of Adam's Rib. Where she, Very much she so. of course is the more progressive in that movie, but but by a long shot. But um but anyway this older Very good movie, by the way. Such Adam's a great Rib, movie. Yeah, Nineteen forty nine. You know, yeah, so I'm I haven't seen this, but I'm just imagining them, you know, he learned a lot in that movie and them twenty, thirty years later mm-hmm. and uh Anyway, and now it's like, okay, we believe all these things, but now we have to live out what we believe because a lot of times you see that with, you know, I've I've had some yeah. liberal friends or relatives who have like, oh, yes, we believe this, but then they're like confronted with it personally and yeah. they struggle with it. And it's like, oh, that's... Yeah, that's So I true. like that. It's, that's yeah, so I human, think it'd be, it'd be an so interesting movie to watch. It's... Yeah. It, 
you know, again, there are parts that are dated. And so this kind of is, you see the transition in Hollywood because you have these old, it's a very yeah. tried and true formula. Yeah. You have this big star power, yeah. but also very contemporary issues uh-huh. uh, cropping up. And who's the idiot daughter? <laughs> Catherine Holton. Oh. She didn't have much of a career. She's Catherine Hepburn's niece. And oh. this was really her first role. Oh, and, she does look yeah. like her, so it's a good And thing. it was it didn't do a whole lot for her career just to be kind of within with such a, I mean, they're incredible. Ever heard of the graduate? Oh, the graduate, yes. I have seen the graduate. So yeah, now we're really getting into Baby boomers have taken over. This is just kind of the a movie of their generation, really. You've seen? Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, obviously, very famous movie about a a kid played by Dustin Hoffman comes home from college, doesn't know what he wants to do with his life, but is this his first big movie? Yeah, the um, role was. Originally, like, uh, I think Robert Redford wanted it. It's such a different look of a character. I know. That's why, yeah, he came from the New York stage, and the, mm-hmm. his, oh. the studio fought um, the director, Mike Nichols, on using him. Because uh-huh. uh, Nichols didn't want to use Robert Redford. Uh-huh. The famous story is he was talking to Robert Redford, and he was saying, yeah, this is kind of a... a, a the type of guy who 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 doesn't get the girl, and Robert Redford says, "What do you mean?" And he <laughs> said, "Exactly." <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, very different from Robert Redford, okay, but yeah. you know, he has an affair with his parents' uh, neighbor, older woman, Mrs. Robinson, played by Anne Bancroft, um, and then hijinks ensue from there. The yeah. Paul um, Simon and Garfunkel soundtrack. Yeah, plastics. Uh, plastics. Yeah. <laughs> it's the future. Yeah, the, I mm-hmm. like the tagline. This is Benjamin. He's a little worried about his future. Yeah. So worth, that's worth like revisiting. Um. Yeah, I had some issues with the last time I saw it. I, I don't. It's been a while. I got very annoyed with Benjamin. I was actually more interested in Mrs. Robinson and like what's uh-huh. going on with her but and the movie just kind of takes her for granted at least that was my uh-huh. perspective but just as, as a cultural landmark I think it is always worth revisiting well it's one of the I think we've talked about this before with Dustin Hoffman is that he he's doesn't great. he's great and he doesn't mind playing a character that people don't like right no he doesn't yeah I think yeah, we said we that about that. Tom Cruise too. Oh, Maybe yeah, that's, in Rain Man. Yeah. yeah, we talked about the both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is when you talk about somebody like Robert Redford. Which I'm oh, Robert Redford. Find, yeah, and that was I would like not have one known of the this thing. before we started doing yeah. our rewatch, but he's probably one who doesn't want to play a character that's not likable. Oh well, that was if you recall one of my issues with the Sting was his yes, character. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually, at this, uh, certainly at this point of his career. I mean, Robert Redford has had a very rich and storied career, and yeah. he, he's a great actor. And, uh, yada, yada. I'm glad he wasn't in The Graduate. Yeah. Okay, so The Graduate. Then finally, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, I should definitely watch this movie. You haven't seen it yet. I'm sure I you've heard of it. Oh, my gosh, yeah, because everybody's like, oh, Bonnie, where's Clyde? Always, always, always. Yeah. Oh, this is a gangster movie set in the 30s, and this was another movie that's kind of iconic of this new generation. Just very, um, the violence was so different from what audiences were accustomed to. This take on youthful rebellion, young people and the rebelling against an adult community that doesn't get them. Who's the? Is that? Ha- oh, yeah, Gene Hackman plays Gene a supporting Hackman. role. Yeah, oh, he's so yeah, young is, there. I know this is one of his earliest roles. Uh, of course, we have Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Oh, and that's Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. I did not know that. The leads, yes, they um, 
are very important to uh, Best Picture history because they oh. announced the award to um, La La Land. Wow, that line. was the two of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but no, they're, they're great, and that wasn't their fault. Oh, I was embarrassing stuff. But no, yeah, you've never seen was... Bonnie and Clyde? Highly acclaimed movie. It was a movie that just very kind of cutting edge in its day. I don't, it's a great movie. I don't think you'd watch it and, and think of it as groundbreaking, but it was at the time. It when did it come out? Do you know um, the fall of nineteen sixty seven. Oh, it was okay. not connecting at all with audiences, and mm-hmm. then once it got a bunch of Oscar nominations, it became one of the biggest hits of the year. Yeah, it did end up being one of the biggest hits of the year. The Graduate was just a phenomenon. and um, yeah. But the Jungle Book... Over. Yeah, the Jungle Book is the second biggest hit of the year. And almost Walt as Disney's much. last movie. It was one, two, and then a big gap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Jungle Book's a big hit. Uh, yeah. And the third is a re-release of Gone with the Wind. Wow. That was the third biggest hit of the year. Oh, okay. Um, also, you know, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Bonnie and Clyde, and also the, the Dirty Dozen, uh, To Stir With Love, the other um, Sidney Poitier movie was also in the top ten, so mm-hmm. he had a really... Who's in... Um, I've heard of Cool Hand Luke. Is cool Hand Luke is great. And is that snubbed for Newman? best... Yeah. It missed the best picture lineup, thanks to mm-hmm. Dr. Doodle. Okay, which isn't even on here. No. Uh, also, no in who's in Divorce American Style? I actually don't know anything about that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry to say. Oh, Casino Royale. Uh, Barefoot in the Park is um, a rubber for me. Okay. Casino Royale um, is yeah. the one that I'm familiar with. A remake is of that. Ja- yeah, I think this is a James Bond spoof. Oh, isn't Casino yeah, Royale? Is, but it's a James Bond. It was the oh. first Daniel Craig Bond movie. Later, I think they're both based oh, okay. on a, a Fleming novel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting year. I a lot of um, definitely see the the new guard coming in. Yeah, and just uh, some of the others. Uh, the, like the producers is one of Mel Brooks's most famous movies. Uh, cool Hand Luke and In Cold Blood are really both hold up very well today, and but apparently at the time were not as good as Doctor Doolittle for some <laughs> odd reason. Uh, have you seen Wait Until Dark? No. It's the Audrey Hepburn movie. She's a it's a thriller where she plays a blind lady. Oh. She's mm-hmm. being. Uh, the Alan villain Arkin. is Alan Arkin, who recently passed away. Uh-huh. We saw him in Argo. Uh, the producers, I saw a remake of The Producers. Right? Yeah, this is they definitely better. The, the musical. Or something. Odds. No. The Producers. Isn't that one where like there was a million people in it? The player? Play the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's not related at all to The Producers. The Producers is a comedy about the... Uh, Gene Wilder is uh, an accountant who okay. determines that he can make more money with a flop than a hit oh. by defrauding investors because they don't nobody seeks their cut if the film loses money. So yeah, so they try to make the a big flop um, show and make springtime for Hitler <laughs> as a musical. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, you should watch it. There's a musical version. The movie isn't that great, but it was a huge hit on Broadway with uh, mm-hmm. Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Uh, so, oh, I maybe In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. Ever heard of it? Um, I had heard of it. Yeah. What's it about? It's about, uh, first of all, it's an awesome movie. I <laughs> loved this movie. Oh, good. Okay. I'm so glad to hear it. So bad. I love this so movie. bad. <laughs> I love this movie so bad. Okay. Uh, so this is a story about a small southern town, uh, mm-hmm. a small racist, right? Yes. This is, a, this is a story about a small racist southern town where a big deal guy gets murdered. Yes. And so it's 
the first person they haul in is the first black guy they found. Right. And anyway, who ends up being also a cop, a homicide expert from Philadelphia. Yes. Who's just passing, just seeing there for, to see his mother. Right. So he ends up uh, helping the local police in solving the mystery, the crime, you know, of who, mm-hmm. of really the who done it. But that's the very, that's like the simple plot, but yeah, there's a lot of nuance and stuff. So Sidney Portier plays the cop from Philly. What's his name? Sidney Portier. No. no, the character. Oh, oh, Virgil Tibbs. Yes. Virgil Tibbs. What do they call him in Philadelphia? Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> <laughs> they call him Mr. Tibbs. And then the guy who looks like Bunker, Archie Bunker, but yeah. that's not who well, it is. Played, yeah, in the TV series version, it's played by Carol O'Connor. Yeah, and who's this? Rod Steiger. Rod Steiger. Yeah. So Rod Steiger, is, is there another Archie Bunker that's not a TV version? Well, I was just saying that Archie Bunker was played by Carol O'Connor, who oh. played this character in the TV show In the Heat of the Night. <gasps> Oh, yes. really? Yeah. Okay, that's a good character because he looks like him. Yes, this is movie, Rod Steiger. This is the mm-hmm. movie version comes before the TV version. Okay. Yeah, yeah by oh, that's a couple decades. Yeah. So Rod Steiger, who mm-hmm. I i don't think I've seen him in anything else. Have. I have. And you'll see again, he's the brother in On the Waterfront. Oh. Much younger. Okay. So Rod Steiger plays the chief of police and this was so surprising to me that he makes that character endearing by the end of the movie yeah remarkable he's amazing I mean, it, this it's is an, remarkable this I, is I, an all-timer <laughs> performance <laughs> like i would have sworn in the first 10 minutes like i can't take two more seconds of this guy yeah and he very slowly um, yeah. and very subtly. Very subtly. He doesn't sell the change no, at all. No, it's but, just like all of a sudden at the end it, you realize like he's endearing. And yeah. anyway, lo- I, yeah, remarkable. And Sidney Poirier is, I mean. Uh, he's terrific, too, yeah. of course. And there was so... So many, there were some things, you know, besides the Tibbs. What did we say? There was something similar in 101 Dalmatians, which came out before <laughs> this movie. Yeah. Which is well, no, I mean, the that line was parodied in The Lion King. Right, but just the, the Tibbs, wasn't there? Well, anything? no, I mean, there was just the cat was named Sergeant Tibbs. Sergeant Tibbs. Yeah. Which is like this, right? <laughs> And then that so, that right. guy Sam is it Sam? No, not Sam. The one Sam. that works at the counter. Yeah, he looks just like the bad guy from Hundred One Dalmatians. One oh, of the Jasper! Jasper, he looks exactly <laughs> like Jasper. Okay, I haven't noticed that. Okay, so it's like so. This is kind of a ripoff of Hundred One Dalmatians. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I would have thought that 101 Dalmatians came out the year later, and that's like, let's just take... Oh, that was 61. Yeah, so amazing. Two years before. It's like, well, what is a... Where's, we'll take us make a Sergeant Tibbs, because he probably... They didn't never said what his police rank was, but that sounds about right. Yeah. He wasn't the chief, but he probably was a they Sergeant. They called him Mr. Tibbs. They called him Mr. Tibbs. Yes. That's true, which is... Maybe that line is probably the most famous line in the movie, of course, where he's uh, Rod Steiger's character, Gillespie, is making fun of his name, Virgil. Yeah. Well, what do they call you up in Philadelphia, Virgil? And he says, they call him Mr. Tibbs. Yeah, but he says Just, it. Like, it's serving like his own dignity, really. And, uh, yes. Like, he's actually seen as a human being. In Philadelphia, yeah, right? Yeah, and his Sydney, he he, his character is like simmering, the seething, movie, yeah. you know, just like 
it's, it's but so restrained. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with this movie. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Yeah. Uh, it's a really, it's a really strong movie. It might movie be my favorite also. one so far. It's really? It's so good. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I like so many things about really it. really famous It part. doesn't talk down to you. Or at it least it didn't talk it down to me. It holds up so well. So many movies, uh, particularly about race, made by white people, yeah. just are like a Dressing where society was at the particular time it's made and yeah. then about aging well, but I mean, this is very, yeah, I mean, yeah. we still can see towns like this. Yeah. I mean, it, but it, no, I mean, we still have stories of this. It's like police are out, something bad happened. We see a black man out yeah. in the middle of the night. Let's haul him in. Right. But just. But, but the movie doesn't oversell it as. Just like knuckle dragging racism, right? Because they, you know, kind of like yeah. it happens now. They see, well, they're suspicious because he has a lot of cash on him, and they don't ask questions, right? I, I and just, also the way they would inherently recoil mm-hmm. around him. Oh, you know, definitely. I love the scene where the widow. Um, yes. The widow, who very quickly ends up as a proponent of his, but right. her initial, she just... Well, the person who's not from the South, too. Yeah, but right. she also recoils, you know? She doesn't, yeah. you know, she he's the one who tells her her husband was just killed. She's breaking down. He goes to, uh, you know, uh, console mm-hmm. her, and she's just like... Did so well of just like you can't touch me. Yeah, you know maybe it was because he's a man, but like everybody else was recoiling and right. You know, and well, she's in a vulnerable spot. This she's is... in a vulnerable spot. You know, but he's like dressed in a suit and you know, all these yeah. things. But he's but this uh, initial recoil. But like it it um, the same thing with um, the Gillespie character. Yeah. It's like they're initially, there's this initial recoil for them, yeah. but it doesn't run deep for them. Whereas mm-hmm. for other people, it in the movie, it, there's an initial recoil and you can just see it runs, it runs straight through them. Mm-hmm. You know, so one is well, just not the, used to it and then yeah. are able to get beyond their prejudices fairly quickly, some more quickly than others. And others just are not able to. Yeah, well, I think it's also telling that the character of Endicott is almost, in contrast, he doesn't so much recoil, he's smooth as silk. Yes. And his racism is just so part of the fabric of who he is. And just yeah. like, I mean, compares um, Virgil to a root in oh, his garden, gosh. just was... like second nature. Yeah. And yeah. it brings up the other most famous moment of the movie is the slap. Yeah. Which was um, just shocking at the time. Yeah, I mean, they mm-hmm. definitely pray, portrayed it as, you know, it seemed we see this all the time, you know, you slap them, they slap you, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of back and forth. But, you know, what a powerful scene. And right. then what was really remarkable was... Well, I didn't even realize it till they said later to the Gillespie. Yeah. It's like you should have shot him. Yeah. Like why just say why, it was self defense. Yeah. You should have shot him. And uh anyway and there's That's what the last sheriff would have done. Yeah. That's what just the mayor tells him. Shot him. Whereas you see Gillespie was kind uh, of watching it like we're watching it, it's less like yeah, like you said. Tiger's slept. so it's, good at that oh, moment. So it's good, just yeah. like did you see that Gillespie? Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? I don't know. I mean, he's just so he's just like trying to like he's shocked and just trying to yeah. contain himself and like he's you can tell like he knows he knows that Tibbs has put himself in a lot of danger. Yeah. And he's just kind of Torn between how he deals with it, because yeah. 
you know, he doesn't like the guy, but he also doesn't want him killed. Right. And yeah, I think his character's really fascinating. And they're, how, they're both cause annoyed with each other. They are. Yeah. They, and this isn't a racism solved movie. Uh-huh. It's not like he, he has like this epiphany that yeah. changes his life. He yeah. just realizes that he respects this person. One guy. Yeah. This one guy. I mean, there's a good chance that he just he gets fired right after this. The action ends in the movie. Yeah. He, he really... I mean, he does end up solving the case, so that might help. But, um, yeah. I mean, he really puts himself... And as the movie gets, goes along, we see how much of an outsider he is as well. Yeah. Because he's the new sheriff. Right. Yep. And we see, like, his staff doesn't respect him, that they're, you know, kind of, one guy doesn't fix the air conditioner, and then he's lying about it and laughing about it to the other guy who he ends up arresting. And so it's like he has this incompetent crew that doesn't respect him, and Mm -hmm. the higher-ups in the town just, you know, they installed him even though he doesn't know how to, you know, he's not a detective. And, you know, nor would you expect him to be in a small town that probably doesn't get a lot of murders. And I thought it was, I liked also how they, first of all, I didn't know who it was. There's several people. Like, I mean, it's not totally shocking who it is because they right. do kind of do a lot of foreshadowing on this. Right. But I love That's who we open on, actually. Yeah, that's who we open on. See him kill a fly. Yeah. On the very first shot. Yep. And, uh, Anyway, and we see him just being deceitful and all this, all this kind of stuff, you know, with the pie and and all these yeah. things. But they still do a good job of just like you know, you're not exactly sure how it's going to go. But I love how the Virgil, how Virgil is so smart, but he also gets tripped up by his own prejudice. Yeah, and I just I thought that was so beautifully nuanced. Of right, uh, you know, but, rather than yeah. just like coda in your face, but well, no, it's not like. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, it's just really. It was... I, I wouldn't say prejudice, but like, I mean, it's kind well, of loaded like, in this yeah context. It's I don't want to give not the, racist prejudice. Yeah, but... I don't want to give the impression that like okay, well, it's kind of both sides. They no, were no, racist no, no, towards no, him, no, and he's like. That. No, I but know you didn't. Prejudice but I just in, the, be... in the actually what the word means. Is right, he had having, prejudged. He had prejudged, like I, th- and it was this prejudgment had kind of clouded his be- his own better judgment, as he's describing yeah. it. He's saying, yeah, I should have, I should have, I should have seen this. I let him. Yeah, and the, the I let, actual basically, I let him get in my head. Yeah, the actual murder story is not the strongest element of the movie. But that's not really what it's about. It's not it about doesn't that. Yeah. really kind of like I still I watched it you know twice again this week and I still don't really get why he had Sam Wood retrace his steps like what he was going for and how he comes to the conclusions that he does, but yeah. I mean that's really not important. It's yeah. that that's really just the yeah, what because... keeps the Plot moving uh-huh. as we get this story of um, bigotry. Yeah. But just this, I mean, I, I, one of the things I really appreciate is how the town of Sparta itself is almost, it sounds like a cliche, but it's also, it's another character. Yeah. You know, because you see all these different parts of the town as the story unfolds. And I love that at the end we get this crane shot or probably a helicopter shot where we finally see the town in its entirety and we kind of see like how everything fits together. Oh, that's where the factory was and the main mm-hmm. square and, and these kind of pieces that we've all seen. We see them kind of pieced together. Uh, but we, the movie starts with the theme song by Ray Charles. Yeah. Uh, but then we're kind of just seeing the town on its own. We're kind of through mm-hmm. Sam Wood's patrols, kind of going right. through the town. 
and really even before racism is brought up at all we do see that this town is not things aren't quite right there's something rotten in the town of sparta because we we get a lot of well we get something's off with the diner guy and we have the whole thing where he's lying about the cake and then the cop is going on spying on a girl who's undressed so there's like just a lot of vice and a lot of for a sleepy town there's just a lot of things that aren't quite right and then from there he finds the body and Right. Go from there. Even the patrol guy, Sam, mm-hmm. who was pretty blatantly racist, also comes around a little bit. Like, some of them right. don't come around at all, but he does come around right. a little bit and does you know, cooperates with him and lets this guy be in charge. And Anyway, I thought that was uh, interesting. And then they had that scene that's yeah. so much... Like Forrest Gump, that scene where he's being chased by the rednecks in the Confederate. Really interesting. The Confederate right, yeah. flag. Very and, scary and scene. Very scary scene. Forrest Gump. Yeah. No, but I was wondering if Forrest Gump was like recreating that scene. Oh, I don't know if it was intentionally, but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I was kind of struck by how, you know, we see him being chased and then we get a shot of the confederate flag on the license plate and then we see the chase and i just was really kind of struck by oh this was even back then like that is filmmaking language to say that these guys are racist yeah and And you know i know that they knew in 1967 which kind of it took me off guard just because like 10 years after this was the dukes of hazard right where you'd have oh a lot of things where the I hadn't it thought was about that. very yeah the Confederate flag is used in very benign ways for Ooh, people right. that are kind of heroic. That was uh-huh. I think the the car right the General Lee the car was the General oh, Lee oh the right? car was the General Lee and it had a big I mean, Confederate seen flag this on since it high school but yeah wow you're right so but here like I think you know clearly. You know, Norman Jewison's the director, Canadian guy, but like he kind of knew that the that See? shot's gonna tell people that right. that these guys are racist. Wow, interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Norman Jewison is Canadian. Uh, you might know him best for Moonstruck. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he directed a lot of uh, very good movies. That scene, yeah, he almost got himself killed there. With the with the slap. No, with the. Oh, yeah. When he was getting chased. You know, that chief, there were all these young men. There was, like, at least four of them. Strapping yeah. young men, but, boy, they they paid attention to the chief. The chief ran them off, and I was like, that chief could be... Yeah, well, he did have a gun. They were a little yeah, bit, he, I mean, they called him a uh, uh, dirty name. Right. Anyway, that was... um. Yeah, good movie. But you're right; it's not about the crime solving. That's not just about the, the background. Crime solving. The backdrop. Yeah, and it's not. It's surprisingly subtle about the racial elements because it's mm-hmm. not even Gillespie. It doesn't even oversell his racism in the beginning or oversell his cure uh-huh. at the end. He's just he's yeah. expecting his officers to bring in the criminal, and he treats him like a criminal when he's brought in, yeah. and. That's how he questions people. It doesn't yeah. go kind of over the top with racist language or yeah. anything. But I mean, he yeah. clearly has a lot of racist sentiments. Yeah, aren't yes, cured, but you really see a lot of humanity in this character. Yeah. as he it's just a tremendous performance. Very yeah. subtle. Love that scene in his living room. Oh yeah, and it, interestingly, like maybe I I wonder if he had never really thought of himself as a as a racist just as a justice guy or, yeah. or something but until yeah, he met Virgil Tibbs he had never had to confront a black man as an equal as an equal right yeah and I mean he, the movie doesn't make a lot of it but there is definitely a black section of the town that yeah. he brings Virgil to and it's like yeah. he, he definitely knows the mechanic guy that he sets him up with 
but it's like and the mechanic very, I remember when he says to him I'm going to stay here and he's like I'll get a motel in town and he just <laughs> laughed yeah. it's like oh, okay you try that yeah so um, it's like oh so well he's not even going to be able to the movie yeah. was filmed in Illinois uh, because Sidney Poitier wouldn't wouldn't go to the south really he had gone there with on a tour with um, Harry Belafonte. Okay. And they got harassed the whole time by rednecks. Did they? Racist, yeah. So okay. he won't go back. They did wow. talk him into, like, the the scenes were showing the cotton uh-huh. plantations. They had to film that in Tennessee. Okay. There was only... There was only one hotel in the area where they could stay at, and uh, that's yeah. so crazy. Like, yeah, a big movie star too. But oh my goodness! So wild. Yeah. So wild. So, and then you said that they couldn't play this south of the Mason Dixon line, which is yeah. it's crazy. like Maryland. Is it? It's Maryland, Maryland Pennsylvania. Uh, I think Maryland I is south. So, but you said it, it couldn't be played in the South. I don't know that there were laws against it. It didn't play in the South. So it could be that theaters were just afraid of violence. So it wasn't played in the South. It was not. Wow. Probably just From as my well. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't look very I'm good. I'm sure it has since then. But. South doesn't look very good in this. Uh no, I mean it's so great it's really, movie. People should go see it. Really good movie, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but and you know that's you kind of see a town also in decline because the the right. reason this murder is important is because this guy was going to open a factory, right? Yeah, and like they needed the right input, right? So, but I think we see this kind of the empty factories that there's a lot of uh, jobs had left this area yeah there's a lot of people it's so kind interesting of... it's relevant today very Still, much so yeah it's so i mean this is 56 years old yeah i know exactly how old it is <laughs> and it's still it's still relevant you know for i know. i think it's a very good movie yeah yeah so, did these guys get any Oscar nominations? Well, do you want to do Let's do a Limerick first. Oh, Limerick goes and first. And okay. then we'll do the awards. Okay. Uh, so, you want to do the um, Limerick? Yeah. In the heat of the night, a delight, a crime-solving tale shining bright. Virgil Tibbs, a detective's might, through prejudice he'd fight, a southern town's justice set right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like they've uh, seen yeah. it. Yeah, I think they've seen it. In all the heat all of the five lines. A crime solving tale shining bright. Virgil Tim, the detective, might through prejudice fight a southern town's justice. That's not a perfect one, Mark, yeah. but it's, okay. it's fine. They clearly saw it. They, yeah. We're good. We're good with that. C plus, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would give it. So the movie gets seven Oscar nominations. Okay, so that's. Yeah. Average. Um, it got one acting nomination. I, I don't know between the two guys. They were both fantastic. <laughs> they were both fantastic. So, did it go to Sidney Poitier? No. Went to Rod Steiger? Went to Rod Steiger. Okay. I mean, I think this is one of the best performances of all time. Yeah, he He's was just so great. So great. Yeah. Yeah, it's Sidney Poitier was in three big movies, didn't mm-hmm. make the best actor lineup. Oh, really? Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's a stacked year. Yeah. Rod Steiger, I mean, you have Dustin Hoffman uh-huh. for The Graduate, the uh, Warren Beatty for Bonnie and Clyde, Spencer Tracy in his last movie ever oh, for yeah. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke. So, so uh, Rod Steiger won. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was great. He was fantastic. Yeah, you can't fault Yeah, him. and it's... Yeah. It's the same for Sydney Poitier. It's, it's, it's hard to really... Find. I mean, I do kind of think he's better than Sydney Poitier. I mean, than... Um, Rod Steiger? No, no, no. I think Rod Steiger deserved to win. I would, yeah, put, I would put Poitier ahead of um, Spencer Tracy, but again, uh, it's like... It was, yeah. And, I mean, you could say he gave his life for that role. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. He's a legend in his last movie, and he is great in it, so I'm like, yeah. he's going to begrudge that. Uh, um, best director? Yeah, well, no, it didn't lost work. best director to um, Mike Nichols for The Graduate. Okay. But it won, uh, won five of its seven nominations, so best picture, obviously. Rod Steiger won, and then the screenplay, film editing, and the sound okay. won. Uh, so, yeah, the um, Rod Steiger and that and Catherine Hepburn won the lead acting awards. George Kennedy and for Hulking and Luke and Estelle Parsons for Bonnie and Clyde won the supporting awards. Great. Yeah. Awesome. So that's in the heat of the night. Go see it. It's really good. Yeah. All right. What's coming up next? So you liked in the heat of the night? Yeah. Yeah, let's see what's coming up next. Um, what are your picks? My picks are Amadeus, Parasite, No Country for Old Men, Moonlight, and The Best Years of Our Lives. Okay. We'll see if it's going to be one of those. I think it's going to be The French Connection. Okay. Or The Departed. Uh-huh. I also have 12 Years a Slave on my list, All Quiet on the Western Front. And I had In the Heat of the Night picked. I could have gone a bit further. Uh, I'm add. going to add. Uh, we're getting into the nitty gritty here. I'm going to put Rebecca up. Okay. From 1940. Okay. All right. Let's see what it is. Yes. Oh. The French Connection. You were right. Yeah. Okay, what year is that? 1971. Okay. So not much later. Yeah. So. I've never seen it. it. What, what would you guess that the French Connection is about? It's about a World War Two spy thing. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see. Okay. 